I was contemplating this week around the message. Uh, obviously, I'm bringing you the last church today, and I want to talk about the church in Laodicea. But I was contemplating about the message and even getting ready to preach the message. And this is what I was thinking. With all that's happening in the world right now, I mean, it's COVID, it's lockdowns, it's vaccinations, and there's all of these things happening. Reading through the script and, you know, just uh, preparing my heart to preach on a sermon, which I believe a lot of you have already read through this passage and understand and know what it's all about. But the question that came to my mind is, how does it apply to us today? Today. How does a message that was written back in the day by the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, by instruction of Jesus Christ, apply to you and to me today? And that's what I want you to think about. Because there's so many things right now in the world that is taking our attention away. There is uh, some people who would tell you that there is more pressing issues today than to try to understand the Word of God. And there is some pressing issues around us today to even think about praying or, or having a relationship with God. And then when I look at the message and, and, and the facts and the things that I want to bring out, my question is, is there still an appetite? An appetite to hear the Word of God. And I think it's more elevated this kind of thought process because people are separated uh, it's not as if you can go out and talk to a lot of people anymore and I think I think it's only me thinking this but you can have your own opinion around it I think and believe that people are over the fact that you can get together on zoom or on teams or on the internet platform and all of this plays a role in what is your understanding about the scriptures today. So we look into this church and I want, never want you to, to lose the fact about where we are in our time and where the scripture of God is. I said it a few messages before, the word of God should be your foundation right now. Our faith now is tested way more than any time in our lives. I mean, in my entire life, my faith hasn't been tested as much as now. Now, I'm thinking about people who's got no hope, no faith, even more to them. What have they got to hold on to, to grasp on to? And thinking about this always brings me back to the fact that we are serving a sovereign God and his word is not flawed it's not old it is relevant for every single day so as we look into this church by the name of Laodicea the word Laodicea means the rule of people and, I, and again I want to come back to the fact how can we apply it to our day today well we see the rule of people in our governments in our worlds it impacts our lives more than ever more than ever than the history of this world. It impacts every single person, the rule of people. And this church here that we're going to hear about today repre represents a church that's run by the majority rule instead of God. 
And that is one of the biggest problems that's happening in the church. So as we progress through the weeks and we come down from the first church and we see the problems with the loveless church, with the compromised church, with the dead church and all of these, it slowly graduates down in, in, in essence to this point now where you have a church which is being ruled by the majority, by the people. And we find evidences of that right through the history of the church. More so, and I think it's just with the elevation of technology with social media, video cameras, YouTube and all of these things. I think it's just been elevated more so that it's in our faces. You've got mega churches now and believe me they are struggling through these times. These times are also a test to the mega churches. But you've got this majority the majority rule in this church which is called you know generally as the lukewarm church now i always recall and as i start the sermon that way the words of uh, spurgeon the prince of preachers they called him who said scripture never wears out never and and it's not only he i mean it's just a paraphrase of him i think for the word that says that Jesus Christ is yesterday, today and forever the same. And I want you to take courage in that, that if he carried you through in your past, then he will carry you through today and he will certainly carry you through tomorrow. So when we look at this church, I want you to think about our circumstances around us. You know, we apply this now to the local church. It is definitely applied to the future church, which we are a part of in the church age. But it's also applied to us as individuals. Think about it. And the question should always be, you know, are you lukewarm? Now, one scripture verse out of this church that stands out for me is in verse 17. And this is going to describe self-deception. I, I want you to hold on to that word. The word self deception because this is what you're going to hear now as john writes down what jesus christ tells him he says to this church and to you and to me and for those many out there who believes themselves to be strong but are weak he says these words so clearly he says to this church because you say i am rich i have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If there's ever a statement of self-deception, there you've got it. Here is a group of people who, who celebrate the fact that they are rich. In this particular church, and I'm going to come to the history of this, this city, but in this particular city, it is so rich that when the earthquake happened, that they looked into themselves, they could build themselves. They are wealthy. Not only are they rich, they are wealthy. And, and they come around and they say, we've got a need of nothing and many times when people come into that stage of their lives they turn to God and say I've made it I'm self-made I don't need you God and let me just say that some people who don't even in these days who who's got riches and wealth say those words 
We will make it on our own. Thank you, God. You continue your work and we will ours. That's a sad, sad state of events of self-deception. I think you've heard that somebody said it's the blind leads the blind and they don't even know that they are blind. Somebody once said, you know, the worst man that you can find is a man who's deceived and don't even know that he's deceived. And now today we find so many of that playing out in our political scenes, in our world and all of the things. And, and there's a whole plethora of those messages out in the world right now. But I think if you think about a catchphrase for this church, you know, this this rule of people church, this lukewarm church, this, this self-deception church. If there's one catchphrase I want to leave with you, it is this, that, this question that asks, why should a man repent of his goodness? Because to the front came, in, in, is certainly in my latter time now, in, in the last 20 years, 30 years, you know, to the front came the seeker-sensitive movement, churches. They came to the front and, and they went out and had surveys in, in communities and said, what do you want from church? What will you make you come back to church? And one of the things, one of the things that people wanted to lift out of the seeker-sensitive driven churches is the word repentance. You see, because man generally these days feels that I am good. We are good. And why should I repent then of my goodness that's my relative world that's my real world but the problem here is dear friend and brother and sister is how do this man defy his goodness because we can certainly say without the foundation of the word of god without that foundation which is the truth and this is we're going to get to that without that Every man's good is different than the next man's good. And so that some man's good is an absolute atrocity to others. So now we find this watered down religion. We find this watered down relationship. We find that repentance and being born again doesn't even mean what it really means in the Bible, because the foundation is ripped out of it. And now we've got my goodness and your goodness and goodness nowhere where all the goodnesses will go. So this is the catchphrase here, you know, why should a man repent of his goodness? Now, like I said, you know, how does this man defy his goodness, especially when that goodness of this man is flawed. And this is the under underlining message that is surrounding this church in Laodicea and many churches today. Not only that, because this is a self-applicable message, many a people who call themselves Christians today have got a problem with this. 
they will build for themselves their own doctrines. They will use the scripture as a reference and call scripture verses out of context to prove that their goodness that they're talking about is the right goodness. But again, I come back to the fact it is without foundation. Hence, Jesus said to John, write to these people that you, you say, you say that, not God, nobody else. You say that I am rich and you are wealthy and you need of nothing. And then he says, and do not know, you do not have this wisdom, this knowledge, this gnosis, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. So, Let's come to this place then, the place of Laodicea. This place was also one of the centers of Caesar worship. Go down on your knees, raise your hand and say, Caesar is God, Caesar is Lord. Not only that, in this particular place, there was also the worshiping of the healing God, Asclepios. Now Asclepios, uh, Asclepios, um, was according to them the healing God and and it is also then logic that within that city was a, a big medical school dedicated to Asclepos, this medicine God. And and it is then also not surprisingly that there's a lot of medicine and ointments and everything that was made in the city of Laodicea from soil and from plants and from all of these things that came together. So you had this famous temple to Asclepos, you had Caesar worship going on there and in that city you found a church with Christians in it, the, the Christians that went out there. And it's also well noted that Laodicea prided itself in three things. The city prided itself in financial wealth. And that, and listen to me now, that is what's happening nowadays as well, where the spirit of the world, the spirit of Laodicea moved into the church that Jesus is not talking to the city here. Remember, Jesus' message is to the church. They are supposed to be his people. They are supposed to be walk according to his ordinances. They are supposed to walk according to the word of God. He writes this to the church. So this tells me that the spirit that I'm talking to you about now, now, the wealth spirit in the city has entered into the church. There is no difference. If you look at Laodicea and you look at the church, there's no difference there. Not only that, there is also an extensive textile industry. They made the famous black wool. And then this is the one which cuts my eyes because Jesus is going to mention that. They also made a very popular eye self which you can put an ointment, which you can put in to heal your eyes. And this eye self was so popular, they exported it all around the world. You see, hence the, the verse that stands out, you are rich, you've become wealthy, and you have no need of anything. But then you are, you are poor, wretched, miserable, blind and naked. Why would he throw in the words blind and naked? In this place where they make something to heal the eyes, which gives you 20-20 vision, they are spiritually blind. They could turn around but say, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, wait a minute, Jesus. What about us making all of these things? No, you are spiritually blind. 
So they made this popular things there. But one of the problems of this city was their poor water supply. And we find this also coming out in when Jesus speaks to them because the city was located near Hierapolis. Um, that was a city with hot water springs. Similar to our days, you know, go to certain parts in, in Australia, New Zealand, in South Africa where there's hot springs, you know, the water is so warm and hot. Um, but it was also close to Colossae, which had pure cold water and the mountains would have snow on it and the pure cold water would run down through Colossae. And these two water streams will meet each other. And by the time it comes down to Lydusia, the water would be lukewarm. Hence, Jesus brilliantly used that to speak to the city about lukewarmness in the city. So let's get to the scripture and the text. Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the church of the Lydusians write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. There is so much richness in this verse, and I am so excited to open it up for you. First of all, he says, these things says the Amen. And remember again, he uses the characteristics which he's already told John in chapter 1. When John turned around and he saw him, and, and Jesus started talking to him, he says to him, he said, I am the Amen, the truthful for witness and faithful witness. And he uses that to this church. This deceitful church, he, he applies those characteristics to this deceitful church. So you ask me, what is the way out of deceitfulness? You apply the truth of Christ to deceit and it will get rid of deceit. It's the opposite. So he starts by saying the Amen. And this is a very, very unique title that he chose for himself. And I want to take you a little bit of a journey to where this comes from. If you open up in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, we find this word for the first time in Hebrew, not in your English Bible. In the King James, in the New King James, you will find the word true. But if you have to go to the Hebrew, you will find a really interesting word there. Let me read and explain. In verse 16, Isaiah 65, 16, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And I hope you've got your Bible open so you can underline that. And right there next into the sideline next to this verse, the following. That word, the truth, comes from the Hebrew word, amane. That means, amen. Amen. So let me read the verse and I'll come back to you. He says, He shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he who swears on the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. So twice he uses this word Amen, Amen, in that passage there for Hebrew, not in English. In English it's the word truth. You say to me, preacher, but how do you bring it together? Well, if you look at the Hebrew explanation of the word Amen, or Amen, or whichever, you know, um, accent you want to say it in, when you bring in the meaning for the word Amen, it means so be it, the truth. 
So every time when we pray in church, I ask one of your brothers to pray. At the end of the prayer, you say Amen. And we all, as Jesuits, we say Amen or Amen. What do we all say? We pray to God and then we say, So be it in truth. So that's where this comes from. So when Jesus speaks to them, He says to them, These things says the Amen. So be it. The truth is said. And then he qualifies it straight away. He says the faithful and true witness, the martyr. The word for witness there is martyr. And to just, you know, um, solidify the fact that he uses that, Paul comes out and he writes in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, to the, and this is a well-known verse for a lot of you. He writes the verse to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him amen. There is the word. Now it's in Greek, but it means the same. So be it. So all the promises of God, even now, even now where you are, even now, when you say, Lord, please, you said that you will, you will look after your children. His promise is yes and amen. So it will be. It's a wonderful word, word of God. To the glory of God through us. Now he says it again, again to them, the faithful and true witness. And I want you to contrast this to the Laodiceans. The deceit that's in them. Deceit is not truth. Deceit is a lie. You know, if, if you want to deceive somebody, you tell them a lie and you deceive them. But when you come with the truth, it cuts like, like a, a warm knife through butter. And this is so beautiful. So he, he will show them in what he's going to tell them that he is the faithful and the true one. And then he says the beginning of the creation of God. What does he mean the beginning of the creation of God? Well, the Greek word there for beginning is the word arche. Now, arche means the ruler or the, the source or the origin. So it is so powerful. He comes to this lukewarm church, this deceited church, where people say, you know, why should a man repent of his goodness? And that goodness is a deceit. He comes to them and he gives them clear direction from the origin, the truth, the so be it. Let me talk into your life right now. We are going through terrible things. But if God says something that stands, and I know that for some of you, it's really hard to grasp this. Because it feels as if your whole con you know, circumstances uh, runs out of control. By the way, I'm telling you, turn off the news at night. Stop watching the numbers. Stop watching it. Don't let those things control you, but let the fear of God control you and the word of God. Because he is the truth. He's the righteous judge. So verse 15, Revelation 3.15 I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You would say, yeah, this is crazy language. It's absolutely crazy language. 
So I've explained to you where this water comes from into the city. It comes from Hierapolis and it comes from Colossea and those two, the cold and the hot comes together and it meets each other and it goes into the city. And the city had forever lukewarm water to do all things with. And I don't know about you, but you know, I like it hot or cold. I don't always like it lukewarm. You know, hot water heals. If you use it, it can heal in cold waters. When you take a glass of cold water on a hot day, it refreshes you. But lukewarm water is useless for either of those things. Lukewarm water won't heal you. It's too cold. But it also will not refresh you when you drink it because it's too hot. So it's a little bit useless situation. And so you ask of me, preacher, but what does it mean? to be lukewarm in a spiritual sense. Well, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference. And we find so many people of that. You know, where do you stand as a church on abortion? Well, I don't don't care. I don't want it, you know. Laugh, 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 laugh. No, no, that's, that's neither nor. And this is the indifference that goes on, the coldness, the, the disinterest, and most of all the compromise that causes these, these sets of lukewarmness. Now, I want you to concentrate now what Jesus says, because he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's not a nice thing. It's not a nice thing to happen and to hear about. I want to ask you now, because I believe you know, all of us in your lives, has vomited. I'm not going to describe it to you. I think you might vomit if I do. But generally, it is a yucky stuff that comes out. And uh, I only, I've only ever seen animals eat their own vomit. It's horrible if you think about it. What do you do with vomit? Well, nothing. I recall that, you know, in the times that I vomit, I want to get away from it as quickly as can. You know, so the phrase here is I walk away from vomit. I don't want to, don't want to hang around it. You know, it's got a stench. It looks bad. It's not as if I'm going to take a nice picture and frame it on my wall. Yay, look at my best vomit shot. No, it's not as if I'm going to take a sample and put it out somewhere that I can revisit it. No, what do you do with vomit? You walk away from vomit. The lukewarm person here is described as that vomit. So here the message is that Christ will walk away from you if you've got that state of lukewarmness in your life. I hope that's a terrible thought because that's what it is. You say, prove more to me, preacher? Well, I will. Because you remember when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, in the last days, go and read that passage again. I preached about it a couple of weeks ago. He says, in the last days, you will have these things happening. You know, people will be lovers of themselves. They will be haughty, proud. They will uh, not respect their parents and everything and so on. And what does he say? What does he say? It's the same message. Let me read to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness. That's, that's why I do see it. 
They've got a form of godliness. They've got the church name. But denying its power. Now what do you do? What do you do with these people who's got a form of godliness and denying its power? From such people, turn away. Walk away. It's the same message. I must say to you, unfortunately in my life I had to make decisions for some people who just who just are, you know, lukewarm and, and, and they've got different uh, doctrines, which is absolutely not scripture based, and I had to just turn away from them. But here he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy and need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. There is your opposites there. And this is the absolute deception that's going on in that church. In verse 18, I counsel to, from you to buy from me gold refined by fire and that you may, that you may be rich. Uh, white garments that you may be clothed, wealthy, and the same uh, that the same of shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye self that you might see. So, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about come to me and I give you gold bars? You know, this prosperity preaching. You give me your little fine little gold, you know, stone. And if you give it to me and you've got enough faith, I'm going to give you a big gold bar. That's not what he's saying. This is not the sowing and reaping doctrine. No, no. He applies what they've got physically in the spiritual sense. I'll repeat that. He applies what they've got physically, which means nothing. Nana, donuts in a spiritual sense. All of your wealth, all of your riches could be lo lose, lost just like that. I mean, for instance, for instance, take the situation we're in right now. I don't hear a lot of people these days talking about their homes and wealth and anything. People are now much more, much more inclined to want to have their freedom. What does it help you've got a mansion, you've got no freedom? And that's only when freedom has been taken away from you. When your life will be taken away, you lose all your earthly possessions. So he uses this now, he sees this against the physical riches. You, you say you're rich, you're wealthy, you've got all the clothes. You make this fabric here. You make this selfie of the three things which they've got so going for themselves. That spirit that float over into the church. And now you've got churches where they say, if you're not rich, you're not faithful enough. If you're not rich, you're not going to sit in the front seat. You're going to sit at the back. This is not fabricated things. This is true things happening in churches today. If you don't pay your tithing, then you can sit in the cheap seats right at the back. The people who pay the most are closest to the stage. Where did this come from? From the pit of hell. Look after the pastor. You know, let's pay him. Let's give him all of these bonuses, and, and the people are... Yeah, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I just want to come back to the fact that he appraises three things here in the in a in a physical sense, and then he gives them the spiritual. He says, first of all, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in fire. What does he mean? What does he mean? That you may be rich. 
The only thing that it refers to here is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He was refined in the in, in the most severe fire of all, when he went to the cross of Calvary and he died on that cross, an innocent man, but he took upon his shoulders our sin. That was the refinement so that he can say now to you and to me, buy from me, come to me, you who are heavy and weary and laden, and I will give you rest. He's the only one who can give you that gold and that will make you rich. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot buy the precious blood of Jesus Christ with your riches on this earth. You cannot. Yet he says to them, come and buy from me. The phrase there is to, to retrieve something of value. The, the fact of the matter is, brother and sister, he then, when we come to him to buy of him, he gives it to us for free. What a beautiful passage it is. And then he says, and a white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do appear. You are covered by him. The only thing that can cover you so that your nakedness is not exposed. Because let it be known, people are walking around with their own righteousness, their own righteousness. Yes. And this we find, you know, the Bible talks about two kinds of righteousness. In the book of Romans, he talks about these two kinds of righteousness. In the book of Romans, he said to the Israelite, you've got righteousness, which is right according to you. But then we talk about God's righteousness. And that's the righteousness that we are looking for. And here he says that our righteousness will show our shame. When is it going to show our shame? Not now, because you can hide it so perfectly. And some, some I must say, when they are caught out in their sin, it's a shame before the world and they cry crocodile, crocodile tears because they were caught out and I'm sorry because I'm caught out. But when you come to him and you repent of your sin, what happens? He covers you with the cloak of righteousness. His cloak of righteousness. Christ's cloak of righteousness. That's what this refers to. He says, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. You may be clothed with white garments and that your shame shall not be. In that day, in that day of the great white throne judgment, you do not have to appear before that throne in a spectacle before the whole of the population of the world. Your loved ones who you withheld all of your secret sins from that day, the Bible says it will be, it will be heralded. That means it will be shouted from the rooftops, all of the secret things that you do. And here Christ says, he says, come to me, take my blood upon you buy from me my precious blood and what will you get you will get forgiveness of your sins and I will clothe you with a cloak of righteousness 
Three things that these people were proud of. But Christ has got so much more. And then he says the final one. He says, and anoint your eyes with eye self that you may see. You see, they were they were making this eye self there. And they were sending it all over the world. You know, only if I can get a small potion of the ointment that comes from Laodicea. Wow, we sell it for a big price and get more richer. But then in the end, if you die, your eyes means nothing. It goes to dust. Here he talks about spiritual sight. Spiritual sight. And who can give you that sight? Only one can give it to you. This year, the anointing with the eyes of soul that you may see, this speaks of the Holy Spirit, which opens up the eyes of believers today. I said it a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Somebody asked me and said, Dear preacher, I want to read the Bible, but I can't understand it. How do I start reading the Bible? And my advice to that person is, come to the cross of Christ, repent of your sin, be saved by the Savior of all, and then when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you will understand the Word of God. There is no other way, no other way, you cannot understand the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. You cannot see. <laughs> he says, anoint your eyes with eyes self that you may see. You cannot see without the Holy Spirit. L listen to me. I, I want to say it again. You cannot understand the deeper things of God without the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about wishy-washy, strange things happening. I'm talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, which Jesus promised, because His promises are yes and amen. In Him, yes, and in Him, it is amen. Now, now He promised, He said that I will give you the help of the Holy Spirit who will live in you and with you forever. Go and read John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and you will see the work that the Holy Spirit's going to do in your life. Then in verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So, so we find that, that God, Jesus, he, he rebuked his children. He did it with his nation. Who are you and I to think that he won't do it with us? And he chastised them. And then he says, therefore be zealous and repent. The Greek word therefore, our English word zealous means hot. He says to them, you know, some, I, I remember, you know, I was preaching through this once and, and I had a question asked to me and he said, now what does God want? Does he want us to be cold or hot? Because he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Well, the answer is right there in verse 19. God don't want you to be cold for him. He wants you to be hot. I think sometimes because we are reading translations, which is the English language, we lose so much of the message. The message to this church is, I don't want you to be cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be hot. And here is the proof and evidence of that. So you go to that particular word there, you know, in verse, verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So I get them. I speak to them. I, I correct them. Therefore, application, be hot, be zealous and repent. Not cold. 
Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And this verse has been used so many times by evangelists. I used it in my younger days as well when you preach an evangelistical message. You quote this verse and you say to people, Jesus is standing at your heart's door and he's knocking and he wants you to open the door and this door has only got one handle on the inside. Well, you can use it like that. I don't think it is 100% theologically true the way that it was put here and I don't think Jesus used it in this way to put it here. What is he saying? You need to apply this verse to verse 17. Because in verse 17 he says, you think you are rich, you are wealthy, you say this, no, nothing, you say these things, and you need of nothing, but you're miserable. You're poor, you're naked, you're blind. And now he's saying to them, the church here in Laodicea, he is removed from the church. It's replaced with programs, all programs. It's been replaced with worship services and all of those things. They say, we need of nothing. We not need of Jesus to be in our services. We don't need of the Holy Spirit to be in our services. We're going to manufacture the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do the people do that? Because he doesn't appear when we want him to appear. He doesn't do what we want him to do. You know, we want to sail like snakes on the ground and say it's the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't want to do it. Then we're going to do it. Hey, Jesus, you go out of the church. Leave this over to us. We have grown in society so clever and so wise that we can, we can <laughs> copycat every single thing that we see. I mean, just talk to China and they can, they can copycat anything. So... There are people in the world now who think they can copycat God. You cannot do that. So he's standing on the outside. And it's true. You know, how do you apply then to people, preacher, if you say it's not that? No, no, it's true that people get so busy in their lifestyles, in their programs, in their busyness, that, that you know, they leave him out of their lives. Oh, we're not going to talk to Christ. We're not going to pray to him. We're going to talk to read to him the word of God. We're not going to. He's outside. He's got no no influence in my life at all. I know of people who, who pray the five-minute prayer, you know, to be saved and then stand up there, walk on without Christ. He's still there where they said the prayer. So let me finish today. He says in verse 21, To him overcomes, I shall grant to sit with me on my throne. Wow! What a reward! To sit with him on his throne, with the King of Kings. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. On his throne. And he was in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Have you got a ear today? Do you hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to you today? You know, are you one of those people and say, why do I have to repent of my goodness? Oh, oh my goodness. It is my goodness. And good is my goodness. If you come to that point, you are operating in the spirit of Laodicea, a lukewarm church. Now let me apply this again to the kingdom parables and we come to the last parable. And you will find a similar position here. Remember the parables again in Matthew 13 is written under the old covenant. So Jesus Christ comes under the old covenant in the New Testament. He is the testator. 
he tells them, he says, you know, I've got you a new covenant. I've got a new testament to you. But, you know, you can't go into the New Testament before the testator die. I mean, I've got a testament for my children, but, you know, they don't come around and, no, no, I have to die and then the testament kicks into action. And the day when Christ died, the New Testament came into action. So this is why I say it's transitional books from the Old to the New, from the Old Covenant into the New. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But it's not to say it's not applicable to us because the Bible is written for all of us, the every from Genesis to Revelation. But when he spoke to them the kingdom parables, he was talking about what's in the kingdoms gonna happen. In the New Testament, he talks to the church. And now he says in Matthew 13, 47, again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Isn't that what a lukewarm church is now? Isn't that what is in the church right now? Some of every kind. And it's no longer determined by the word of God. No, it's a social gathering now. Everybody's welcome. Doesn't matter what you do. Because, hey, we're rich. We're wealthy. That shows that God is blessing us. Look, at I've got to tell you this. You know, back in New Zealand... Like now, we're not a big church. We're not by far a big church. And, and you know, we haven't got our own building. So one of our church members met up with a, a group who's part of a big mega church in New Zealand. And they, they asked him, they said, do you have your own building? as it just no. Oh, really? Really? Wow. And your pastor, is he full-time? No, no, no. Our pastor is working, you know, but he's doing this. Oh, really? Oh, you're in one of those churches. <laughs> and when this brother told me this, he said, Pastor John, I wonder what churches he's meaning. And I wonder as well. But here he comes back here. You know, his sum is gathered from every kind in this dragnet. When they went out fishing, they throw the dragnet out. In verse 48, it says, Which, when it was full, they drew it to shore and they sat down and gathered good into one vessel and threw bad away. You say, how does this apply to the church in Laodicea? Well, let me make it easy for you. They put some in the good basket out of this all kinds and some they threw away. In the book of Laodicea, he drank the water and what did he do? He vomited it out and what did he do? Take a picture of it, a selfie on, 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 on social media. No, no, he walked away. It's the same thing. There is, there is today of any kind in the church today under the so-called church. But there cometh the day, hear my words. No, no. I repent of that. Hear the words of Jesus himself. There comes a day when the dragnet will be pulled in, the good will be put in one basket and the others will be thrown out. Verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from amongst the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be a wailing and a gnashing, a gnashing of teeth. <laughs> now someone again uh, told me the story, somebody in our church in New Zealand, they said, um, They've heard this preacher preaching and then one of the Sunday school people came and he said, 
He said, but pastor, you know, my dad hasn't got any teeth. Where will there be a gnashing of teeth? <laughs> and uh, the pastor cleverly said to him, he says, teeth will be provided, but there will be a gnashing of teeth. I know it's a silly joke, but brothers and sisters, it is no joke. It is like vomit. And this is, this is a really severe message to the church in Laodicea. I want to implore of you to, to do what he says if you are feeling lukewarm. Repent. Be zealous. Be zealous. Become hot for Christ. And, and again, I, I end with how I started tonight, uh, today. Do not let the circumstances make you lukewarm. I know one day just runs into, flows into another day. And, you know, I, I work, uh, it's easier for me because I, I've got Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. But, you know, I know there's some people who are sitting in their homes and, you know, they don't know Monday from Wednesday, from Saturday, from Sunday. And some of people use this, you know, at least there's this message on a Sunday. I know it's Sunday, waking up, the message is there. But don't let all of those things and circumstances bring you into a position of lukewarmness. Hold on. Grab on to the throne of God. Become zealous for Christ yet again. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your encouragement, God. Father, we trust in you. I trust with every bone of my body in you that even in these circumstances, Lord, the uncertainty about vaccines, the coronavirus, the uncertainty about brothers and sisters when I sometimes I talk and I can hear they down. The uncertainty about the future for young people who's got young children. All of these things, Father. The uncertainty around numbers and are they going to lock us down even further or not. All of those things I bring to you, Lord. I lay you down at your feet. And I say thank you, Lord. Thank you that we've got a petition with you now. And Father, now we can walk away from that petition and have peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray this in Jesus' name.